Father of light, sun lifted high, spirit of life, open our eyes. It's always the need on Sunday morning, always the need. It's the need day in and day out. But on Sunday mornings, we gather together with an expectation of hearing from the Lord, especially in days like these. Nobody questions that these are hard times. Some of you have been without a job for over a year. Others of you are concerned about the security of your job, even as the job market is beginning to look a little bit better. And why wouldn't you be? All of the gains of 2010 and the stock market were wiped out in a week, 6%. The stock market lost this past week. One terrorist, or almost 6%, one terrorist attempt after another in our country is thwarted only because the bombs fail to go off. We're not thinking about it because those bombs don't go off. But when one goes, we're going to be fully aware. These are tough times, but we're going to make it. You know why? Because we have faith. We have faith in... in well, in faith, we believe in our country. We believe in the American spirit. and We believe in God, and we're going to make it. We have faith. We're going to talk about faith today. It's a popular topic, you know, especially in hard times. Faith becomes an extremely popular topic but to say that there is confusion about faith is to say that there's it's, it's the same as saying there's confusion about quantum mechanics. Well, actually, it's not the same at all. I mean, who thinks about quantum mechanics? That theory is kind of murky anyway, you know? But that's kind of like it is. Uh, Chad says it's not. He says it's rock solid. But everybody thinks about faith at some level. It is, is it important? Well, the title of this message would imply that it is. The necessity of faith. And so we need to do our best to define and apply this principle, this truth about faith. Faith for the sake of faith, however, is meaningless. When I know a positive Attitude is, is way better than a negative attitude. But especially in, in relation to our relationship with God, faith for the sake of faith, faith in, an, in some sort of a, a nebulous idea is meaningless. It's the object of our faith that matters. And the object of our faith must be accurate if it's going to ultimately do us any good. If our faith is in the wrong thing or the wrong person or the wrong idea, then our faith means nothing and we will be sorely disappointed, to say the least. You ever had your faith in the wrong place? Like the stock market? <laughs> or the wrong person? Or the wrong belief? And it ended up being less than helpful. 
In fact, it ended up being very destructive. Our text today is 30 verses long, and I had decided, you know, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to read all of that. We're talking about faith, and we're, we're looking at Romans as we go through this series on the gospel, but we're not absolutely tied down. It's not that week in and week out is exposition. Last week it was. Uh, I, I have felt all week that probably last week's message was the most important stuff that I've said in all these years, and it wasn't me that was saying it. It's because of the text. It wasn't because I had this great sermon. That wasn't it at all. It's just explaining what propitiation means and, 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 the, and the idea of, of, of Jesus absorbing the wrath of God. And why wouldn't I think that? I mean, as we said last week, no less than Martin Luther and Donald Gray Barnhouse said it's the most important text in Scripture. So we had to stay there. We're not tied, though, as we're going through the book of Romans. Sometimes we're going to be a little closer than we are at others. But this, this idea of faith, we need to get outside and, and, and try to understand it at a better level. So I wasn't going to read these verses, but then the more I prayed and studied and thought, and it, it seemed like it would be good to read it all, but not at the first like we normally do. But at the end, after the groundwork has been laid for the truth that we find in here, the, the understanding of, of faith. And then as we read that text and maybe make a few comments along the way, hopefully it'll be far more meaningful than just reading 30 verses all at once right at the first of the service. We're going to read that passage I think I just mentioned at near the end of the service. But let's begin our time this morning with prayer. Father, we... Um, Lift our hearts to you in anticipation. And and, and in so doing, we express faith. And fathers, some of us have been doing this a lot longer than others. And so we have many years of of time in the word. and, And so our understanding of you is different. We're on different levels. But faith. True faith that looks to you with an open heart and open hands. Lord, is meaningful and purpose-filled and beautiful and significant at any level. And so turn our hearts toward you. And this word that that is so often used today, Lord, but so seldom understood, may you give us a better understanding so that when we leave this place, our hearts are turned even more toward you and that our faith is increased. Because we need it in good times, bad times, it does not matter. Change our our minds and change our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that faith is a certainty in something that has not yet come about. 
You know, I've been telling Allison, my fiance, for a couple of months, you know, she says, whoo, June 14th is upon us. And I say, it's not coming. It's not going to get here. You know, finally, I said, when we get inside six weeks, then it'll seem like it's going fast. And it does. That was last week. Tomorrow is five weeks away from our wedding. And, and it seems like it's moving quickly. But for the longest time, it seemed like it would never get here. So I was getting my hair cut recently, you know, and the barber said, hey, June 14th, that's coming up, isn't it? And I said, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to get here. He said, oh, it's coming soon. You can count on that. <laughs> Not sure exactly what he meant by that, you know. But, uh, and I laughed, and he's right, it's coming. There are certain things we know that are going to happen. The seasons are going to come. The days are going to come. The sun's going to shine. I remember when I used to be discouraged, my dad would say, Son, the sun is going to shine tomorrow. Doesn't matter. It's going to shine tomorrow. And it will. There are certain things that we know for certain. There are other things that we hope. I hope Carolina beats LSU in, in August this year. Don't know. If it, I, to say that I have faith in that, mm, I'm not going to go that far. Anywhere close. That's a, there's a difference, and there's a whole lot in between when it comes to faith. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, we believe in something that we don't see. And then he gave example after example after example of people. Some of whom saw God's promises fulfilled before their, before their very eyes, and some who were put in a hollow log and sawn in half for their testimony and their faith in Jesus Christ. But he said, you know what? They all had faith. They were looking for something that they were certain of. Absolutely sure that it was going to come to, to pass. To the Christ follower, faith is more than wishful thinking. Our faith is based on the promises and the truth of God. Since hope always refers to, the, to eternal life in some form or another. The writer of Hebrews, writing to a persecuted church, was saying that faith is a sure and steady certainty about our future home in heaven, regardless of what it looks like here on earth. It's a strong conviction that while we cannot yet see these things, they are just as real as this building and the people all around us. We believe it to be true. But what is the basis of believing something that we can't see? How do you do that? I mean, how do you say, all right, I just want you to believe that this is true, that there's a God who lives in the heavens. What's, that, what's the basis for that? As unsatisfactory as, some, as this may seem to some of you, at, 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 at first at least, the basis of our faith is the promises of God, and the promises of God are seen by us in Scripture. In the Bible, faith and Scripture are inextricably linked, as Romans ten seventeen tells us. We talk about the Word of God and the Spirit of God are almost inextricably linked. The Spirit of God moves, but He uses the Word to, to, to bring this truth to our hearts. But faith is the same way. Faith in the Word, if you've just got faith on the basis of, well, I just think this is the way it ought to be. My mama always said, or my grandmama always said this, and so I believe it. If it's just based on, on, on folk wisdom or, 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 or logic, 
then it's not really based on all that much. But when it's based on the Word of God, if you're a Christ follower, you understand the connection and, and that answer is quite satisfactory to you. But if you don't know Jesus, it probably won't do. And if that's the case, please withhold your judgment until the end of the service. When we read our text today, a little bit later, we're going to see how closely the Apostle Paul links the salvation that we have with the salvation that Abraham had. He was saved by the same means we are, by faith. By faith. Abraham, the Abraham in, in Genesis, in the early part of the Bible, who lived 500 years before the law was even written, that Abraham, our, our faith is the same as his faith. Way before, 2,000 years before Jesus he lived. And our faith is the same as his. Yes, indeed. Now, the promises of God were different to him than they are to us. But it's faith that saved him and saves us. If you know his story, you'll know that God came to him and told him that he would be the father of many nations. But particularly the father of God's covenant people. The Lord came to him in a vision. He came to him as an angel. Uh, he, he came to him in different ways, but, but the Lord made himself very clear to Abraham. But, but Abraham said, you know, look, I'm old. My, my wife is old. I mean, how, how, what's the deal here? But God said, this is the way it's going to be. And Abraham believed it. He believed it. Although it was physically impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have children. And when he believed, God credited it to him as righteousness. It's like somebody saying, if you don't write me a check for $1,000 and I can't confirm that this is a good check, then you're going to jail. Back in the old days, they would do that, you know, send you to debtor's prison. If there's nothing in your account, you got no hope. But if somebody puts $1,000 in your account, you're in luck. Don't know why anybody would, but that's what God did for Abraham. He did it out of the grace, His grace and mercy. Abraham believed God, the promises of God, and God credited his account with righteousness so that when he was required to give account of himself, he said, here is what the Lord has done for me. You'll recall from last week that in order for us to stand before God, all of us have to be made righteous. We must, be made we must be made righteous because we cannot be righteous on our own. We're sinners who deserve the righteous wrath of God. He's just in pouring out His wrath on us. So if God does not supernaturally make us righteous, it's not going to happen. We're, we don't have any hope. We understand from last week's text that the process by which we are made righteous is through the exchange of our sin for Jesus' righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I've done this many times, but I'm sure there are some of you who have not been here in the past when I've done this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us, even though He knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
This is what is required for us to be standing before God perfectly. And yet this is what we are. Righteousness, perfect, perfection, sin. God made Jesus, even though he was sinless, he caused him to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And apart from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, we cannot ever achieve the kind of righteousness that is required in order for us to be right with God. But Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus, and he had no understanding of God's plan of salvation through Jesus. Yet he was declared righteous by God because he believed. What did he believe? He believed the promises that God had made to him. That he would have children. That his children would inherit this land. And that they would be a blessing to all of the nations. That his children would be a blessing to all of the nations. And that the, that the truth of God would be brought to the entire world. To those who don't know the Lord. Was Abraham's faith perfect? Far from it. He said, you know, this thing with Sarah's not working out too good. Maybe Hagar, you know. And so they had a baby. And that didn't work out well at all. But Abraham never stopped believing. And in fact, we'll read a little bit later. The closer he got to being old, the more his faith increased. He wavered at times. <clears throat> but his faith grew stronger. And when he was 100 years old, God gave him a son. Isaac by Sarah. But it was that moment in Genesis 15 when God came to him in a vision and said, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a, a, a son of my promise. Abraham believed and in that moment, God declared him righteous. Now, a lot of people, especially the Jews, by the time that Paul wrote this, the first century, the Jews had worked out this incredible, intricate System whereby Abraham was saved by, by obeying the law, even though the law would not be written for some 500 years. And that it was the, the basis of his good works that, that God said, Abraham, I'm proud of you. I love you. I accept you. God said, though, Abraham was saved by faith. And Paul didn't make it up in Romans 4. He said it in Genesis 15. He said it right when it happened. And Abraham believed God and God credited to him for righteousness. Now, once God directed the law to be written by Moses, there was a written record of what God expected of men and women and how they could be rightly related to him. While the law clearly described a holy and a righteous God, it also revealed, as we've said repeatedly, and Paul is saying repeatedly in, in the word here, that we are sinful and hopeless and we're never going to be capable of keeping the law. Even if we could just start right now and say, God, please forgive me for all of my sins from now on. I, will, I promise I will keep the law on every point. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But many people in the old days with the law convinced themselves that they were law keepers, at least on the big stuff. And consequently, they were right with God, not David. King David said in Psalm 32, which was a psalm of repentance, 
that those whose sins are forgiven and covered by God's mercy are blessed by the Lord. The, the first two the verses of this psalm are, are followed by these verses where he's confessed his sin. And God has forgiven him. And, and we know that David made some huge mistakes. Not mistakes. He committed some horrible sins. In fact, if we were around and David had, were in our company, we wouldn't have anything to do with David after what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah. And yet, the Lord forgave him of his sin. And, and clearly, David was not assuming that a person is is not considered to be without iniquity on the basis of his good works, but only on the forgiveness of God. And it, and it can only be had, God's forgiveness can only be had by faith. So let's, let's pause for a moment. When the world thinks of faith, it thinks of some sort of mysterious inner quality that we all have, but some are just better at tapping into it than others are. But we're learning that faith is, is not so much a, a nebulous feeling, but rather it's a belief in a God who makes Himself known to us and He makes His plan known to us. We'll see that when we read Romans 4. In Romans 4, the passage that we're going to read in just a few minutes. Faith is repeatedly contrasted with good works. I'm going to say this a lot in these coming weeks, and Sean and I both will be talking about this in these coming weeks, that we're saved by faith, but we're not kept by good works. We're kept by the mercy and the graciousness of God. If you've read the newsletter this week, uh, Tully and Tavigian made this very clear a few weeks ago at the conference we attended. That the only people, ironically, the only people who get better, the only Christians who get better in their Christian life are the ones who are not focused on getting better. You know, it's not that they make all of these rules, but they are, are constantly looking to what God has done for them. And their faith increases on the basis of Jesus' goodness living through us. The Puritans used to say that too many believers live beneath the level of their privileges. We have these incredible privileges in Jesus Christ, but we spend so much time, I'm not going to do this, this, and this, is how, and this is how I'm going to stay away from that, and this is what I'm going to do, do, do. I, I understand there's, there's value. I am so undisciplined that spiritual discipline... Disciplines help me greatly increase my love for the Lord and my faith in the Lord as I get into the Word. But our focus has got to be in faith on what God is doing for us, not on what we can do for Him. So faith is not just some sort of positive attitude that will get us through tough times. It's a belief and a God who exists. And, and a trust in what God has revealed about himself and about his plan for our lives. It's a belief in this God and then it's trusting that what he has said is true. God's plan is so much clearer for us in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament. All of the law and the prophets, the Psalms, were all pointing to Jesus they were pointing to the good news that though we are incapable 
of existing in God's presence in our own sin and in our sin and in our own flesh. He has made a way for us to be forgiven. And He has made us righteous through Jesus. Now, if you feel like this is just being hammered over and over and over, it's because of the foundation that God is, is laying for our sanctification or our, our spiritual growth that we're going to get to week after next. In Romans 6, we're going to be begin to talk about that. Last week, when we were in Romans 3, 21 to 26, we focused on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf on the cross. We talked about how God caused Jesus' blood to be a, a propitiation for our sins. That's, that's, a, that's a difficult word. And even if you were here, you, it may be difficult to define, and you're thinking right now, this is the very, very short version. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was drinking the cup of God's wrath. It was being poured out on him in full. And, and, and the wrath of God was exhausted on Jesus. It wasn't just satisfied, because if it's satisfied, it's kind of like, well, is it going to return? It was completely exhausted on Jesus. He took all of my sin. He spent the equivalent of an eternity in hell. On, those, on the cross in those three hours in particular, three to six hours when the Father turned His back on Him. So is everyone saved? No. Only those who believe. The ones who have faith in Jesus. Verse 26, God has shown his righteousness through Jesus' sacrifice. And he is absolutely just in declaring sinners to be righteous. Those who believe that God did exactly what he said he did through Jesus' blood. God is just looking for us to believe him. To trust him. Oh, wish I hadn't said it that way. But it's true, really. That's what God's looking for. He's just looking for us to believe Him. And the better we believe, the better we behave. It's the way it works. So faith moves from belief in the promises that we read in Scripture to belief in Jesus. And with that belief comes relationship. So here's the gospel cycle. Ruin, redemption, relationship. Relationship with Jesus, relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who believe the same as I believe. Not to the minute detail. We can't all be right. So it'll just have to be Chris Tanas and me and that's about it. So come to Chris or me if you've got any questions. You know that I am teasing about me. At the end of Romans 4, we're going to read that our belief must extend to the resurrection of Jesus, which confirmed the truth of his sacrificial death, and that's what we've got to believe. We're going to talk about 
what we need to believe in order to be rightly related to God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul summarized the gospel by saying that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was all laid out. He was buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. It was already written. He did this just as God said it would happen. People were missing it. But once it happened, they say, oh, now it makes... You've done that, haven't you? You've been in a class and the professor is talking and you're saying, what in the world is he talking about? And he's all over the place. And then all of a sudden, it all makes sense. Or you'll wonder why the Lord is doing these things in your lives. And sometimes we never find out, but it just, this happens, this happens, this happens. And you say, this is the worst possible thing that could happen. Oh, okay, I see what God was doing now. It's just the way it is. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died according to the Scriptures. He was buried and resurrected according to the Scriptures. This was no haphazard plan. It was carried out exactly as it was planned. And Paul went on to say that over 500 people saw Jesus after he was resurrected. Listen, just the life, the very life of these disciples who were cowering in fear after the crucifixion. The change in their lives after they saw Jesus and the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost is evidence of the reality and the truth of the resurrection. So this is no unsubstantiated fairy tale that we're asked to believe. Well, can we really believe the Bible? Maybe not. We've only got thousands of manuscripts to the Old Testament. While we have a good solid four for Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Nobody ever questions that. How important was the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says that if Jesus' resurrection was a host, oh, excuse me, a hoax, <laughs> then all of this life is a waste. And he goes so far in verse 19 to say... That if the resurrection is not true, we are to be pitied above all people. Because we believe this mess, and we live this sacrificial life, and it's all just fairy tale. But obviously, Paul, one of the most brilliant people to ever live, said, it's not. It's real. He appeared to over 500 people, and finally he appeared to me. On the road to Damascus, you remember the story. We believe that this is a reality of history. Just as Jesus' blood being offered as a propitiation for our sins was a reality. And we trust God's proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. When we do that, we are saved. The resurrection confirmed... That God was pleased with the sacrifice that Jesus had made on our behalf. We're not saved because we're good people. We're saved because Jesus took our place on the cross. Died, was buried, resurrected. And we believe. And if your faith in that truth is solid, the application for faith begins to explode.
Fact is, we get way too far from the truth of the gospel. All of Scripture is the gospel. But we get far too distant from this truth that I needed somebody to take my place, and Jesus did it. And our faith gets a little bit discombobulated like I was this morning with the child dedication. And, and, and we get a little distant and we miss things. And we So above all, come back this morning. Not to reaffirming in the sense that you're making sure, but just to say, oh God, I believe this story. I believe this truth, this reality that Jesus died for me and was resurrected. And that I'm saved by faith alone, not by good works. Does it seem silly to you that we could be confronted with this truth about Jesus' death and still say, you know, I'm just going to keep doing the best I can and hope everything will be all right. I've got faith that everything will just be all right. Look, if our faith is not that Jesus did what we couldn't do, it's not a you must, but a he did. And if that's not where our faith is, then we're in trouble. Abraham didn't rely on his good works, nor did David. Old Testament saints were saved the same way we are today. By, by faith, and Paul makes that painfully clear in Romans 4. And it's time that we read our text now. You're, I'm not going to ask you to stand. This will be a little different today. I'm going to go through. I'll make a comment here or there. So let's just read this very deliberately. This is not a new pattern. This is just for today. <clears throat> then what becomes of our boasting? This is right after verse 26 that we read a while ago. um, That God showed his righteousness so that in Jesus' death so that he could be just and the justifier of the one who believes. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we held... That we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? We might could just as easily say, is God the God of the religious only? Or is he the God of unreligious also? People who, for the most part, are thoroughly unconcerned with, with God. Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. Circumcision was the seal and sign of God's covenant with his people. Just like baptism very much is the sign and seal of God's covenant with his people today. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. In other words, not... He justifies those who are keeping the law and those who are not. He's saying he, he justifies the Jews, the Gentiles. He justifies the religious, the non Anybody who believes his truth, his word that he has revealed to us about Jesus' death and resurrection. 
and repents of his or her sins, they go hand in hand, as we've discussed time and again, then they're going to be saved. Verse 31, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Or the purpose of the law, which was to show us we could never be good enough without Jesus. But also the moral truths of the law, the expectations that God has of us. They're not null and void because of faith. As we grow in our understanding of the Lord and as we grow in grace, we become more like He has called us to be in that law. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God makes such a big deal about, look, there's no room for boasting. Remember Satan's original, the very first sin? Satan said, I will be like the Most High. I will be lifted up and exalted. Pride got him. Pride got Adam and Eve. Your eyes will be open if you'll just eat and you'll be like God. I'd like to be like God. So they ate of the fruit. And he's saying there's no room for any boast. Pride is a killer. And it will absolutely kill you in your relationship initially with God. And then in your relationship with God as you grow. And it it can get us at any time. And he's making the point. Don't have anything to do with this. The sin that is so distracting. Verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? What did Abraham's relationship to the law have to do with his faith? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And I'm glad to be done with that word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. 
But where there is no law, there is no transgression. He's just saying that the more you know about the law, the more responsibility you have. He's not saying those who don't know the law are not guilty. He's just saying if you know the law, you're really guilty. Is the point that he's making here. Do you just not get the, get the point that, that God does not favor who we think he favors? We, we just build this case in our mind. For I'm just right in the, in the flow of God's favor. But he doesn't work the way that we think he works. If we're not living by faith, then he's displeased. And if we belong to Jesus, he sees us in Jesus. But even as believers, we are expected to live recognizing that any goodness that we have comes from him. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law. Herent of the law. But also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all who believe. As it is written. It's, it's what he is implying. As it is written. I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, and who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Do you believe in that God who spoke in the world was created? In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. The older he got, the better he believed. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, in way of summary, let's just say three things about, about faith. First of all, faith in God begins with right belief about God. A lot of people believe in God, but our beliefs have to be accurate, which leads us to the second point. Faith rests on divine testimony. In other words, we learn to think and believe the right things about God because He's revealed Himself to us through His Word and through Jesus. But our third point is also true. Faith is a supernatural, divine gift. Satan and sin have so blinded us that it is absolutely impossible for us to know the truth of God unless the Spirit works in us and helps us to understand. <coughs> Maybe you're waiting on this faith thing a bit. You want to see a little more evidence. 
you'll be waiting a long time. Write this verse down if you need to do some investigation. It's John 17, 7. I'm not going to quote it exactly. But let me tell you what Jesus is saying to the people. And if you're that interested, please contact me and let's talk about it. But Jesus basically said this. If you will believe the things that I'm telling you, God will show you that they're real. That it's true. Most of the world says, if you will show me, God, that you exist, I'll believe. He says, no, 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 it's, you got it backwards. You believe, I'll show you. It's that simple. And so, if you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to believe, to rely. We're going to talk about reliance in our home groups this week. About faith being reliance. It's a full reliance. You can depend on God, we must believe the truth that is for us if we want to be saved, and we must believe that truth if we want to grow as Christians. Well, we're going to close with a prayer from Ray Ortland Jr. And this prayer is written in response to this text. Gracious Father, you know how weak I am. A burden of lifelong uncertainty would be too heavy for my poor faith to bear. You have not required me to bear it. You have given me your solemn assurance that my faith will not turn out to have been an enormous miscalculation. You have promised that the merit of Christ, my Savior, will compensate for all my sins, including the imperfections of my faith. You have guaranteed that I will see all my heart's desire granted through your promise. My faith finds rest in you, not because my faith is so full of faith, but because your grace supports even my weak faith with an unbreakable promise. Great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. I rest in you, in the holy name of Christ. Amen. Lord, we commit our hearts to you. We pray that you would fill it with your word, fill our hearts with your word, and give us grace and give us faith. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.